ready to get into this. This is uh, a great chapter, a great book. Uh, many people have certainly have heard about the Jericho and the marching around the, the city. And uh, we're just going to take chapter 6 alone because that, there's a lot there to cover just in that one chapter. So let's pray and we'll go right into it. Father, we thank you for, the, for your time here, Lord, that you've given us to gather here in person and online to uh, study your word. And we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate your word, to, to not only to us, for us to understand your word, um, but also to allow you just to be open, allowing you to apply it to our lives as we study your word. And again, Lord, we thank you and praise you. We lift your name on high. You're just a, a gracious and loving and patient God with us. And uh, we just thank you for, again, to be able to come and just sit and, and to open up your word and just uh, partake of what you have for this, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. The wall will fall, is what I named it here, in Joshua chapter 6. We're going to see an interesting uh, time here. They're on the west side of the Jordan, camped out, got their headquarters all set up, waiting upon, if you remember in chapter 5, and chapter 5 at the very end as they're waiting and seeing in verses 13 through 15, uh, as Joshua was at Jericho, lifting up his eyes and waiting to see, God, what do we do now? We're here where you have us. I'm now just waiting for you to tell us, when do we go to battle? When do we get, we're going to go from battle to battle. What, when is this all going to take place? And when he's looking up, in verse 13, behold, a man, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Messiah, Jesus himself, God himself, who's referred to here as the, verse 14, commander of the army of the Lord, shows up and he says, with his sword drawn, we're going to battle and I'm going to lead you. And I'm going to lead you. And that is so true for us today. The Lord leads us from battle. Whatever battle you have, battling your taking place in your life, and you may have multiple battles that you're dealing with, there's one answer, and that is to allow Jesus to lead you, let him conquer that battle in your life or the giants in your life. And you will not, if you try to do it in your own flesh or some program or some humanistic way, you will not make it. But if you allow God to take care of, the wall will fall and you will have victory. So here we'll see this in, in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. We'll re follow along with me or listen. And it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. If you remember back a couple of chapters ago, two spies went in and met a person by the name of Rahab. Rahab uh, help protect those two spies and because of that they promised if they put a red scarlet thread out the window because her place was on the outside wall uh, they would see that scarlet thread and would not uh, over would protect her and would not overthrow her and kill her and her family whoever was in that house so because of that 
the fact that there were spies, they had shut down the city because they realized the Israelites were there and to protect that city, no one was gonna come or go or go in and out and that city was very well fortified and protected so it could last for a very long time uh, without allowing people to come in and out of the city. Verse two, and the Lord said to Joshua, see I have given Jericho into your hand. Look at that past tense, I have given, already. That is a Hebrew verb, it's a perfect verb of already perfectly, it's already happened, it's already done. I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of you men of war, and you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And verse 5, And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. So the Lord tells Joshua the plan. Joshua, you, and then you tell the people, this is the plan, and you're going to follow me. And this plan is my plan. It's not your ingenuity and your military skills and your, your logic and all these other things. You're just going to do what I've asked you to do. Just be obedient. Have faith. Just follow it. You don't have to have all the reasoning. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out in detail. Uh, you don't know how this is going to play out and everything. And you need to know when and exactly how and all the. No, no. God just tells you what it is. Then we are to be obedient to what He tells us. He will give us more details if He wants to have more detail. Give us more details. But it's by living by faith. So Jericho itself was on full alert with human perspective. This would be hard, wouldn't it? It would, it would almost be like an impossible battle, yet God's perspective, the battle was already over. God already had won. He's just telling them it was already won, but they just haven't done the work yet. And it says, he had said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. But up to this point, everything had been more or less preliminary or preparatory. They were all getting ready for this, but here's... The, here's God showing up. The, the commander of the army of the Lord shows up and tells him it's already done. Now the real task before them is beyond this preliminary, beyond this preparatory, beyond just the initial instructions. Now the real task before them must be faced and tackled. They have to do it. The Canaanites must be dispossessed, dispossessed if Israel is to occupy what God had promised them. Now, it's interesting is Jericho was not an exceptionally large city, but it was an exceptionally fortified city. But it was an important and formidable fortress city because if Israel could defeat uh, Jericho, then they could defeat any other enemy they were going to be facing in Canaan. Again, we see the wisdom of God as opposed to human wisdom. Most people tell people, you're going to have a few battles, but most people say, can we, can we start with the little battle first and see how we do? And then we'll work up to bigger battles. But no, God says, we're going to take the biggest battle in your life right now, and then we'll work our way to the smaller ones. 
But Israel was going to face the most difficult opponent first, right up front, and that was going to be Jericho. And he tells them, you're going to march around the city. The method of warfare was one that was an absolutely made no sense to people of, of war. It made no sense whatsoever to march around a city you're about to conquer. And you're going to do it in a sense where you, people are looking down from these walls and they could have easily thrown their, their uh, come out and attack them. They could have easily did arrows and swords over the walls against them and try to take them out. That just made no sense militarily, but God's ways are not always our ways. Our ways are not his ways. So when he says we're going to do this, that's what he's saying. This doesn't make sense to you, but you're still going to do it by faith. It required, it required total dependence on God. It required great faith because Joshua, because he had to explain and lead this nation on a plan that God gave him. And, and everyone's going to have these questions. You, have you ever been in the military? You ever been any, even at a job? People, you come out and say, well, the boss said we're going to do the following. And there's like this bombardment of questions because it doesn't make sense. And what, how is that going to happen? Oh, we're not going to have time. We, we don't have enough people. How is this going to Joshua just came out and said, this is what the Lord is saying is going to happen. He's going to lead us to do it. And you don't see any argument among the people. You don't see Joshua say, wait a minute, Lord, I don't, this doesn't make sense. It took great faith to just be obedient and do what God's called to do. It required great faith from the elders of the nation because they had to follow Joshua in the plan. And remember, he was the new leader. But God was lifting them up and showing them that God was with them, and that gave them great confidence. What's interesting is Joshua understood, so did the people, that, the, that it would take great faith to accomplish what they're about to do. Because as the commander of the Lord hosts, Jesus himself outlined the strategy how the Israelites were going to get victory, how they're going to conquer Jer Jericho, but Joshua must have grown more confused and had a lot of things running in his head squirrely a little bit around the details and, and how God said how we're going to start and stop and start and stop. This must have really thrown Joshua in your, if you would think if you were in his position. Let me give you a few of those things that caused him to, to kind of question what was going on in his mind. But he, again, it didn't stop him from doing it. It's just that you know he was being challenged because it was going against what he was taught. Here we see the priests were to take part of the military operation. Yet according to the law, Joshua knew the law that the priests were exempt from any military duty in order to devote themselves to serving in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. They weren't to go to war. But here God is telling Joshua to tell the priests to get ready. You're going, into, you're going to the war with us. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was never to be taken into battle. In fact, the one time the Israelites tried to take the ark in the battle because they were looking, reading, leaning on their own understanding, if you're, you'll see it in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 5, they were actually defeated. The ark was actually captured by the enemy because they took the ark into, into war and they were not to do that. And now we're being told, priests, you're going to pick up the, the ark and you're going to be part of this uh, going to go to Jericho and seize, seize the Jericho. So that threw him, like really, that, that's, that's, that's not how it was supposed to play out. 
Also in Numbers 10, remember, it states specifically that it wasn't the ram's horns that were to be used they were, when they go to battle. They were to use two silver trumpets. And then there's more. According to the law, there was to be no traveling on the Sabbath. But Israelites were here commanded to travel around the city of Jericho seven times on the Sabbath. Seven times further than they had the first previous six days. They were not supposed to be working and doing any effort work on the Sabbath. And here God is telling Joseph to tell them, you're going to actually do a work. You're going to war on the Sabbath. So it came to pass, as we see in the scripture, that the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people will shall go right up into every, straight right into it and battle and take everyone out. It was a plan of victory. It was clear from the Lord. Yet God gave them something to do so that Israel could work in partnership with God. Because God didn't really need to use them to conquer Jericho. He could have done that all his own. Sometimes we even ask, God, just take this away from me. But sometimes he will take it away from you. But sometimes that giant, that, that battle you're dealing with, the walls that seems to not allow you to move on in your life, he says, no, no, we're going to partner with this. I'm going to lead you to do this, but you're going to have to do the steps to, and the work to do this. You're going to have to make a choices. You're going to have to make changes. You're going to have to make a, a, a very concerted and concentrated effort to be obedient by faith in God to, 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 have a, to have that victory in the wall to come down. But it's obviously it was something that God could have done without Israel, but he wants us to be part of his work today to, as he leads us. To lead people to Christ. To encourage people in the faith. To help them overcome the, the sins in their life. They, he wants us to partner with him to work and help. The actual confrontation with Jericho was to take place on the seventh day, the day of rest of the Sabbath. But that must have challenged people. But so devoted to keep the Sabbath. Historical show, historically shows that Jews back in the day that were so committed to keeping the Sabbath, the enemy understood that that was the best time to attack them. And some of the historically, the most brutal acts, acts of brutality upon the Jewish people were on the Sabbath day because they knew the Israelites were going to fight back. Because they were just so committed to that religious day. At Moses' side, the law was given, and Joseph was now being told to violate it. Why? Well, the answer lies in the scripture always. And we see in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. Well, interesting, in Zechariah 14, 3, we see this is a prophecy. It's a prophecy concerning Jesus' second coming and the battle of Armageddon. Zechariah says Jesus will fight like he did before. The question to you and I is what battle is he referring to that Jesus went to battle? If you read the Gospels, you'll never see Jesus fighting. 
You never see him with a drawn sword in the, in the New Testament. You never see him leading the charge. He was the Prince of Peace. So when did Jesus fight? He fought right here. We see it in Joshua 5. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And here he is leading his people to fight the battle that he was prophesying and referring back to. It'll be just like the day when Jesus comes back, his second coming will be the time when he will come back to this earth, place his feet on the, on the Mount of uh, Olives, and he will conquer the enemies of Armageddon, will come back against him. He will do the same as he did right here as he references that the commander of the army of the Lord, Jesus, was the one who led the Israelites around the walls of Jericho once every, every day for six days. So Jesus was the one who scouted the city when the, with the seven times around the, on, the seven, on the Sabbath, and Jesus will be the one who told Joshua to, to shout, and the wall would come down. So Joshua alone was just for the ride. He was just following the orders of what Jesus is asking him. Even though he was the one doing the communication, Jesus the one was leading. And because Jesus was in the midst of his people physically, as we see here, he was amongst his people physically, the rules and the regulations of the law were no longer necessary. Because he was in the presence. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 makes this clear. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So we see in the New Testament, when Jesus is present, all those other things no longer matter. The priests, the ark, the ram's horns, they were all part of the procession around the walls of Jericho, all point to Jesus. Even the Sabbath on the, with the Israel's marching around points to Jesus because he is our Sabbath rest. And we find that in Hebrews 4. When Jesus was on the scene of Joshua's day, he would say, I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath and of the silver trumpets. You don't need to worry about those. I am the fulfillment of the priesthood and of the Ark of the Covenant. Those are just symbols. Those are just pictures pointing all to me. But I am here. I am present. So focus on me. I wonder how many of us are focused on rules and regulations and religiosity today. Even though you're in the promised land of a spirit-filled life as a believer. I wonder how many of us subconsciously say, it's Sunday, it's a holy day. I have to go to church and I need to fulfill that day. Don't get me wrong, you should come to church on Sunday. That's when the gathering of God's people are. Not because you have to, because you want to. Not because it's a religious checkoff. It's because it helps you to grow and to love and be loved on. How about it, so that, that thought is, oh, it's early morning and I am disciplined and I'm getting up before everybody else because I got my devotions and I, I keep that every so faithfully every day. Well, that's good for you. But if you're doing it as a religious step, as somehow you're earning God's love, then you are back to what the religiosity is. You're not under grace, you're under, back under the rules and regulations of the law. 
You find our rest in Jesus, not in the acts that you do. To us, Jesus would say rules and regulations and rituals are not only, not only necessary if I'm not present. But if I'm present, those things are replaced by the relationship with me. He continues in verse 6, where now Joshua tells the priests and the people the plan to make this all happen. He says, Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed, march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So Joshua had to tell the priests, <laughs> sorry, sorry guys, I know you don't like to go to war because you weren't ever thought about it. You were raised not to have to worry, even concerned about going into, into war, but you're going with us. And we're going to have some armed people before you, and we're going to have those have the flags to show this is the Israelites are coming, and, and then the priests are going to come, and then we're going to fight, and the trumpets, and then we're going to have some people armed guards behind you to protect you from behind. And you're going to follow around and you're going to just, we're going to go around the city once. And we're going to go back to camp. Now it's interesting, if you're sitting there, you're explaining this to the priest who never go to, goes to war, that they're now going to go to war, go to battle. You can imagine picking up the ark and taking it with them. The ark would be so was so prominent in victory, even as it was in the crossing of the Jordan River, that you know, it was present right there when the Jordan River, he dried up to allow the people to go across. But Israel had to keep their hearts and minds on the Lord who was present with them, instead of putting their hearts and minds on the difficulty of the tasks in front of them. And that's so true today. You keep your focus on the Lord even during the difficulties and the trials and when your heart is heavy and your minds are heavy, if you keep your mind upon the, the Lord and not on the difficulty of tasks in front of you, of the impossibilities, then you'll find victory. You'll find you'll be able to continue to walk through difficult days. And he said to the people, Joshua said and tells the people because they, of what they were asking to do is so unusual, so uncustomary. And it's so contrary to military logic of conquering a walled, fortified city. They had to have great faith to trust in what the Lord is, was telling Joshua to tell them. In verse 8 through 14, we see the actual march. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor, say, sh nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around at, at once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the ark 
of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the Ark of the Covenant while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So picture this. Joshua does not hesitate to do what God tells him to do. The Lord said, this is what you're going to do. And it was immediate obedience of great faith. He trusted. He knew it was the Lord standing in front of him. How could he not listen to the Lord who's standing right there and says, I've got my sword out and I'm saying I'm leading the battle. It's such trust in God. Such trust that they didn't have to think twice about it. Often our delays to obey God shows that we really don't believe him. That's why we delay. Because we really don't believe him. What his word says. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city going around at once. And Jericho was not a large city like I mentioned earlier, but it was an easy march around in a day. But as the people of Jericho saw the Israelites marching around their city, they probably had a sense of both an awe and a horror moment. Because they're like, what are they doing? This is so unusual. They're already... They lost their spirit to fight. They had already was struggling the fact that they knew what God had done with them and allowed them to cross the Jordan River on dry land. Now they're coming out with the Ark of the Covenant and they've got the warriors before and after and the trumpets are going and they're saying nothing. You could hear the, probably the taunting probably over the, the walls at them. Like, you guys are crazy. Come on, you're not going to be able to do anything. You can imagine the mocking and, and, the, and the, the trash talk that was going on over the wall. But they said nothing. Think about that. Thousands. Thousands. Remember, I think it was 30,000 or maybe 40,000. I think it was 30,000. Armed men saying nothing. And just walk around a city. Six days. One at a time. Can you imagine the courage of Israel to do this? Because Israel was wide open to attacks during that time. All the ridicule and pushing and trash talk. You're trying to get the guys to get riled up. Get them to say something. But they were not allowed to say a word. They could have come on, opened the doors and come out and attacked them and just divided them and scattered the people, the Israelites, but they didn't. They just saw them marching around each day for six days. What courage that took for Israel. It also took endurance and patience for Israel to do this because a march was for six days. They had to persist in something they didn't even seem to make sense to them. What is this accomplishing? The helplessness. We're not doing anything. It's helpless. It taught, but it taught discipline. It showed that they had to be very quiet. They had to be disciplined. They had to stay in order. They had to be right with what God has ordered them to do. And they cannot go outside and allow their feelings to take over. 
But imagine as God's wisdom, each time they walked around, they're seeing this huge fortified wall and going, this is impossible. The second day, they're going around. They're just, what are they thinking about, about that wall? A third day, they're walking around. What is, what's going to happen? When is it going to happen? And they're going to walk again. And again, saying nothing except the trumpets are blowing and they're just from above the walls watching and what that was doing in their lives. But at the same time, they're looking, they're marching and what was going on in their heads as warriors. And they repeated this repeated journey around Jericho. The Lord was showing his people that victory would not come through their own might. It would not come through their own power, but only by God's Spirit. We see that in Zechariah 4.6. That was the only way that was going to be conquered, was by God's Spirit doing a work. And that is true for you and I today. For you to have a wall come down in your life that's causing problems a giant to be slain, a victory that needs to be happened in some parts of your life. It has to be done by the Spirit of God working in through your life, and it's not by your own might, and it's not by your own power. That is why people never have victory over the sins and the challenges in their lives, because they never understand that it's God's Spirit doing the work in and through them if they allow it. Verse 15, But it came to pass... On the seventh day that they rose early about the dawn of the day and then marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, it's the seventh day. They're marching on the Sabbath. But this would be a work of God's sovereign grace, would it not? It would be based on his, God's power, not on human works. And the, what they needed to do is to be obedient for six days, and on the seventh day, they need to follow through, and now is the day. Not only they went around once, but they went around seven times. Then they shouted exactly what God said and timing to do it. The command was given for the people to shout after the days of silence. And this comes as a recognition that God would now give them what he had promised them. And he had promised them, if you would do what I tell you to do, the Lord has given you the city. It's a guarantee. Now it's interesting, in verse 17, now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. And, it will, and all who are in it, only Rahab and the, har, the harlot shall live. And she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Verse 18, and you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. When you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and, a tr and trouble it. 
But all the silver and the gold and vessels of the bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So here comes the wall is coming down. It will come down. And when it does come down, every man is going to go rushing. They're just going to turn, face the 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 wall that came down, and they're just going to go rushing straight in and start conquering. Now, it's an interesting picture when you see that because all of a sudden they're going to go straight in and start conquering, and they're going to conquer everyone. Everyone's going to die. Everybody except for Rahab and her family who's in that apartment or in that house that she has, which is on the outer wall with the scarlet thread out. That's why they knew not to go in that place. Now you ponder on that because if she had a place on the outer wall and the outer wall came flat down, you have to make the assumption that all the wall came down except for her little area that was the outer wall for her apartment. That's the only part of the wall that God allowed to stay. The rest of it came down for them to come in and rush in and to be able to conquer the city but save her from losing part of her wall to her apartment. It's fascinating when you think about that, how God can preserve his people during times of trouble. Now we find here that Joshua will be very careful to take care of Rahab because her faith in the living God would find support from God's people. Let me say that again. Her faith in the living God would find support from God's people. When you have a faith in God, the living God, you get, want to be around God's people because there is safety. There is support being in the fellowship. That's why he says don't forsake the fellowship. And by all means, when you go in there, you're going to see accursed things, wicked, perverted things, because this is a very perverted city. And you're going to see things. Do not touch those accursed things. Why? Because these were idols. These were things associated with demonic and depraved worship of the people of Canaan. Don't touch those things. If you do, severe judgment that is brought against Jericho and all the Canaan of, of Canaan didn't come before. It's like they went in there. They had to understand they didn't go in there because... This city was in their way to conquer the promised land. They could have conquered the promised land all around and then just got, took the city out. But there wasn't, the city wasn't blocking their way to go to the rest of the promised land. So it wasn't because they were in the way that they were going to battle with them. They were there because they were so wicked that they were in so much demonic things that God said we must take them out so that it doesn't spread and go into God's people. We got to get that darkness out. We got to get the demonic forces out because if they don't, they will infiltrate in through these accursed things, the idols and everything else will go into the families of, of the Israelites. That's why God said that they had to go in and wipe them out completely. Because it came that there was, was these people who were in total rebellion against God. They were in the occultic. 
And they've had diggings in that area, and they found the artifacts that recovered, that demonstrated that they were in the occultic, the, dem the, the demonic things that were going on. But the things they could keep, because it's the first fruits from their first battle, which is here in Canaan, was all for the treasury of the Lord. And so all the, the gold and the silver and the vessels of bronze and iron, all those are cons those were for the Lord, and no one else can have those except for the, to the treasury of the Lord. Then we see in verse 20 and 21, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened. And it happened, just like God's promised. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. Now some people have their own uh, visions and understanding, but I looked at the, at the language there and I find it clearly clear to me. Literally the wall fell flat. And they just ran right over that wall right into the city and conquered. Now some people you'll, you'll hear teach that the wall just fell flat and came down and there's this big heap of pile which means the Israelites would have climbed over this mountain of 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 uh, uh, you know man-made brick and mortar and all the things that made the the wall to climb over it to get in no 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 I think it literally fell flat they just ran up on top of that wall and zoom right inside there with no trouble whatsoever and no restriction of having to climb over some mound of of rubble that came down flat. You can have your, your own vision of that. I just take it as it came down flat. It didn't say it came down crashing down or anything. It fell flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox sheep and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. So this miracle was definitely beyond normal expectation of what was going to happen. No other city had been conquered this way. Israel never saw it before. Even the, even the people of Jericho would have never imagined their fortified wall would have just come down. Now a lot of people say, oh, there was an earthquake there, and this happened, and tremors, and it was the shouting was so loud, and the trumpets were so loud. It was unstable wall. You can rationalize all you want. It, bottom line is, God moved. <laughs> God doesn't need an earthquake to open up a wall. He just says, wall come down, the wall comes down. And that's exactly what happened. This is a beautiful moment where God just said, watch this. Boom. All they had was God's promise that he made in verse 5. That they were going to win. But they had to believe that promise and acted accordingly to that belief. Let me say that again. God gave them a promise, his word. But they, they had to believe that promise that God gave them and acted accordingly to that belief. That's very important for you to understand. Because when God gives you a promise, you must believe that promise applies to you. And then you must act accordingly to that belief, which is obedience. You must do. See, we shouldn't be surprised when God fulfills his promise, but we often are. We're like, wow, we just had that happen here at the church. 
We've been praying. It's like, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this all out. And this might be a very difficult situation. And we've got a few months to think about this. And, oh, how are we going to say it? We're going to work this out. The wall just came down. It just all of a sudden, a few days ago, they came to us. We didn't even have to tell them. They came to us, and the situation was taken care of. And God has made a way without any challenges. And we've seen that over and over and over. Lord, I don't know how that wall is going to come down. I don't know how that situation is going to happen. But God says it's going to happen. We just wait and watch how God, and we just act when God shows us to move. And we do it, and we watch the walls come down. Same thing for getting the building. Again, it goes on and on and on since 2011, how God just said, the wall will come down, just, you just wait. You just act when I tell you to move. You move. So we shouldn't be surprised. And we wonder if the Israelites were surprised when the wall fell down flat. The people of Jericho were not, they were no doubt surprised. I mean, the, can you imagine you were walking around going, I wonder what's going to happen. Two, three, four, five, six. Now seven times in one day. And all of a sudden, okay, we get to finally talk, shout, and a wall just comes flat. Oh, you know how shocking that must have been. Exhilarating at the same time being shocked. Now, they were to go in and utterly destroy all that was in the city. And many people have a challenge why the Israel was commanded to practice such complete destruction on a city. Well, I'll give you the reason why. Because the greatest sins of the Canaanites were spiritual. And I believe this was a spiritual battle more than it was a military battle. And that's why the Ark of the Covenant was part of it. Because they were dealing with demonic forces, spiritual forces, and the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, and the leading of the Lord of the army was going to be there present to deal with the, the spiritual stronghold in the walls that were bound up. But we see in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14 describes what they were dealing with with this city. It says, When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not lean to the, learn to follow the abomination of those nations. They shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Remember, they used to burn their babies. That's how they did their abortions. They, you know, they birthed them and then killed them. Or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for these nations which you will dispossess listened to the soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed you such for you. That's why he says, you cannot even touch any of those accursed things. These people have got to go. They're so demonic. They're so evil and dark. It will have such an impact on the society and community. They have got to go. So such judgment seems to be harsh to us because it is harsh. But we must understand God has commanded that such judgment to be made in these situations. Verse 5. Or, uh, 
verse 22 to 25. So it said, but Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has. As you swore to her and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver, the gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord, as God said they were supposed to. Verse 25, And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot in her father's household and all that she had. So not only them physically, but all of her household. They picked up all of her stuff and moved her. And moved her to the, out to, by, to the, to the, outside the camp of Israel. So she dwelt in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So Rahab and her household was saved. Just like God, uh, uh, Joshua, or the, you know, the spies said they would do and Joshua confirmed and God said yes because they had faith in God. They were saved. Not only their household and when it was in there, but all their stuff. But the rest of the city, you see salvation in Rahab, but you see judgment in the rest of the city. All of Jericho heard about the God of Israel. Everyone did, even Rahab. But only Rahab believed what God Almighty, who he was and what he did. The rest of the city completely blew that all off. She was saved because she believed. The rest of the city didn't believe. They were all judged and destroyed. You see, again, the Old Testament into the New Testament, you see it all play out. Do you believe in the God Almighty? Do you believe who Jesus Christ is? Do you believe in what God's promises are? Rahab responded positively in faith towards God with the knowledge that was given to her. And this also shows that when we see that she dwells in Israel to this day, shows that Joshua was written at the time of Joshua's time. It wasn't written later on. And finally, verse 26 and 27, Joshua charged them, at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest. He shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Well, city's gone. First First war is the first fight. First battle is won. And God says and shows Joshua charge that if anyone even be thinks about rebuilding this city, there'll be a curse upon you. And the curse will means your oldest and your youngest were going to die. The youngest and the oldest shall set up the its gate. It's going to die right there in that city. And sure enough, we see it in 1 Kings 16, 34. We see in, in his day, 
Hillel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with Abram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sigub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through the Joshua, the son of Nun. He said, I'm going to rebuild this city. And both his sons died because of it. Because he felt like he didn't care. He didn't think that was going to happen. And again, don't mess with when God says things. <laughs> when he says it's going to be cursed and it's not going to happen, don't, don't mess with God. But this completes the story of Israel's victory of Jericho. And we can learn many things from this victory. First faith, Joshua and Israel believed the battle plan that God gave them, even though it didn't make sense. They learned obedience. Joshua and Israel followed the battle plan exactly to the T. They didn't question or divert and say, I know what you told me, but I think this is good enough. No, no, no. They followed to the T. They certainly had courage. Israel followed the battle plan despite the dangers that they, would fa they were facing. It brought in endurance and patience because they had to do that at such a period of time and such an awkward period of time and in such silence that uh, it tested everything in them to, to not follow the plan. And of course, trust. Israel did not rely on the cardinal scheming or the, or the worldly methods or they trust was they trust was in the Lord and not in human ingenuity. They just simply trusted God's word. Victory came because he and the people fully trusted God and obeyed his commandments. And we saw that back in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. What a great true story of what took place. So many lessons on that. I recommend you go back. Read through it again and again. Take notes of how the Lord is speaking to you. Are you living by faith? Do you have walls up in your life that need to come down? Is there giants that you're facing? Is God asking you to do things that go contrary to your common sense? But you know he's told, showed you in those words, that is what you are to do then be immediate obedience. Trust God. Make the changes. Be part of what he's doing, his plan. Even though it definitely will take you full faith to do it. Because if it doesn't take faith, it's not of God. Just remember that. Father, we thank you. And we trust you and praise you for this day, Lord, and, and the word you've given us. And may it speak to our hearts in such a way that you just divinely just touch each of our hearts that are listening, speaking to our hearts of what needs to change, where we need to relook and reevaluate to be in line with your plan, to be obedient with your plan, to be trusting in your plan for the, the plan that you have for our lives. We again thank you for your word to keep us fed, to keep us strong, strong and, and deepen our faith in you our love for you. We thank you and praise you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.